26. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put it out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put it out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large, a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great, great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up from before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Let's pray. Father, that you uh, would want to speak to us is a miracle. It's amazing. And yet, Lord, you've given us your word. It's full of your promises. It is full of your truths. It is a word that corrects, rebukes, admonishes, exhorts us along this road of following you. And so, Lord, as we gather in around your voice, we pray that we would hear you. We pray, Lord, that you would come and minister to us where we're at in our lives. And that somehow, Lord, by your amazing grace, you would change us. That we would leave here today desiring all the more to see and to savor and to declare the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Chapel Street. Good morning, Chapel Zoomers online. Um, <laughs> speaking for them, good on you. Um, happy Mother's Day. It's, uh, it's good to celebrate Mother's Day as we've already prayed and been reminded of the job that they have to do. And what a job. Some say the hardest job in the world. So happy Mother's Day to you all. 
but we're back in Luke, and I'm pleased to be, in one sense, finished of the I Am sayings and in the text that we're following along in. It's good as a church that we read the whole of Luke together, and I hope that you are reading at home, perhaps as prep coming in on a Sunday morning. And here we are in Luke 5, where the Lord calls his disciples. What a great thing that the Lord chooses who his disciples are going to be. He does choose them. He's specific about it. There's no mistakes in God's choice. When you think about it, he chooses quite unremarkable men. There's nothing particularly special about any of these men. But he does say in John 6, I, did I not choose you, the 12, reminding them? Yet one of you is a devil, referring to Judas. So God even chose the one that would betray him, chose his sovereignty and his power. These men that he chose weren't necessarily looking for the Messiah, weren't necessarily like Simeon, waiting to see the consolation of Israel or Anna in the temple waiting for the Messiah to come. As far as we know, they were tax collectors. They were fishermen. They were what you might call regular men, loved, hated, with regular jobs. Yet he chose them. Don't you love the disciples? I don't love Judas for obvious reasons, but don't you love Peter? He's, he's a man that's perhaps like many of us, up and down, for and against a man of great love and conviction. We might have our favorite disciples. I certainly like Peter. And so Luke 5 begins with the calling of Peter, of John, and of James. And so far, just to remind you, we're at that point now where the Lord has begun his public ministry. He's been in the wilderness. He's been tempted. He's been in Nazareth and opened the scroll of Isaiah and read a portion of it. He went to Capernaum, as we heard last week, and he uh, cast out a demon. And we saw how the Lord has supreme power, supreme authority. Now he goes to a small town called Gennesaret, which if you know the Sea of Galilee, it's kind of like an upside-down teardrop shape. It's in the north-northwest, if you know your compass, north-northwest. Um, part of that sea and there they are gathered around and there's a crowd and Jesus gets into the boat to speak to the crowd probably thousands of people it makes sense he's teaching them if I had to summarize it's not always good to summarize a passage but I'd say that Christ is displaying who he is to call Peter and the others to live for his kingdom and not the world's. That Jesus is revealing who he is, God, to call Peter and the others to follow him and to make them fishers of men. And I want to look at this passage this morning from the perspective of Peter and how he responds to Christ and brings glory to him. So just a few simple points, quite quick, simple points for us this morning that Peter does in response to this piece of history that is happening. The first one is quite simply that Peter trusted. He trusted in the face of absurdity. He trusted. Let's look at that text again. Luke chapter 5, verse 4 says, and when he had finished speaking, that's the Lord, he said to Simon, who is Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So he's saying, push the boat out into the water again and let down your nets for a catch. Now, the disciples were on the shore cleaning their nets. They had been out there all night. Then caught a thing. Yet the Lord asks them to push out the boat and let down their nets again. And this is Simon Peter's response. He says, Master, it's a good way to begin when addressing the Lord Jesus. Master, we toiled 
all night and we took nothing but at your word I will let down the nets. The word for toiling there is literally to grow weary from hard work. They've been out all night. They're tired. They need some sleep, some rest. And yet Peter trusts the Lord Jesus and goes out, even though they caught nothing. He's a fisherman. Fishermen know how to fish. They're not fishing recreationally. They're fishing for their livelihood. Without fish, they cannot eat. Without fish, they cannot sell and make money to buy and provide for their families. And they know how to fish. They caught nothing. But he trusts the Lord. At your word, I will let down the nets. I'll do it. He obeys. He trusts. And the result is fish. Everywhere. The nets are, are breaking as they pull them in. The boats are being filled. So full they have to bring another boat to fill that one. To the point where they're out in the deep, remember? And they start to sink. Just picture the scene. What would you be thinking as you're pulling these nets in? What's going on here? Wow, where did these fish come from? He trusts him. It's an act of faith, is it not? Take you as your word, Lord, and I'll trust you. So Peter trusted. Second point is Peter saw. Peter saw. When Peter saw what Peter saw that day would change his life irrevocably, forever. It would never be the same. But what did he see? Yes, he saw boats full of fish. He saw nets that were breaking. He saw boats that were sinking. He saw a miracle. Did he not? He witnessed something. He saw it. Whether, he, whether you saw it and get it. As a fisherman, he gets it. And most importantly, he sees who Jesus is. Have a look at the text again, verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, the miracle, he fell down at Jesus' knees, at Jesus, at Jesus' knees, sorry, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. See, the sign, the miracle, the word for sign is, is the same isn't about the sign, is it? It's never about the sign. And what is Jesus doing here? Trying to just help their business? Give the guys a, a help corporately? Make sure they have enough money that they can grow and develop their business? No. Miracles are signs that point towards a miracle worker. They're not important in of, of themselves. They're only important in that they point to someone else that has created and performed the sign. It's the same as last week. The miracle demonstrates that Christ Jesus is supreme in the cosmos. He's above all other things. He speaks and things happen. He has authority over everything. Here is authority over nature. <laughs> the fish obey. <laughs> Peter obeys, he trusts, but the fish obey as well. And what's Peter's response to that? It's to humble himself. It's to humble himself. Because a sign does not point to itself. You know, the people in the Gospels are always getting that wrong. I don't know if you remember back to the uh, message we gave on uh, the I am sayings, I am the bread of life. I was thinking probably around the same time as this in John's gospel. The Lord goes up through Samaria, up to Galilee, and the people that follow him go across the Jordan and go up that way. 
We know that at the feeding of the 5,000, there were at least 5,000. There's a huge crowd following Jesus. Why are they following him? Because of the signs, <laughs> because of the miracles. He's healing people and they want to follow him. And so they do. And then at the feeding of the 5,000, when he takes the loaves and the fish, he feeds them. It's a miracle. And they follow him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs. That sounds good. But because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. See, they're not following him because of the miracles anymore. They're following him because he's made provision for them in an earthly sense. They've had their bellies filled. It's the wrong reason to follow Jesus. And he's saying to them, you're not following me because I'm God. You're following me because of miracles. And now you're following me because of food. But you should be following me because I'm God. You're just following me because of what you can get out of me. You think I'm going to be a great leader and overthrow Rome. Looking at the sign giver and not the sign is the important thing. It's just a sign. It has to point to something. Think of an actual physical road sign. It doesn't point to itself. That's absurd. It points to a place. And Peter sees this sign and he recognizes something amazing. Two fundamental things. One, he recognizes that Jesus is Lord. He recognizes that this miracle worker has power and authority and is holy, is righteous, is God. And the second thing he recognizes, he recognizes what he's like. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O oh Lord. And they're the two fundamental things we need to recognize to get saved. Yes, we need to hear the gospel, but we need to recognize that it's Jesus who is God dying for the sins of the world. It is Jesus who is God being buried. It is Jesus who is God who is raised on the third day. And that we, in the context of that, are just rotten sinners. Nothing good dwells in us. There's no one righteous, not even one. And so Peter gets it. He sees the miracle and he gets it. He gets who Jesus is and he gets who he is. You can't be saved without seeing what you're like. If you, if you come to Christ and acknowledge that he's God and just think you're okay, you've missed the point. But if you come to Christ and recognize he's God and recognize that you are in a terrible place and need saving, then you're getting it. You're beginning to, to see what this is really about. As a result of that, Peter is afraid. Jesus says in the next sentence, don't be afraid. Why does he say that? <laughs> because Peter's afraid. <laughs> He's afraid. And you should be, right? You come before the holy God and you recognize you're a sinner. This isn't a passive, unimportant thing. This is something to be afraid of. This is something to be fearful of. We must know these truths. We must respond to this profound reality if we're going to know salvation. A lot of people think Jesus is a nice guy. <laughs> he is a nice guy. He's also wrathful. He's also just. And he is going to reap the vengeance of his wrath. What happens to Peter, I think, is that he identifies who Jesus really is, God, and his response is to simply to ask him to leave because he's a sinner and he doesn't think it's right or appropriate to be in the presence of a holy one. Last week we heard from Isaiah 6 where the prophet goes into the temple and the, the temple shakes. It's like an earthquake. It quakes. There's a, there's a thunder and lightning thing going on. God is present. 
The angels are, are there. And the prophet says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I can't be here, is what Isaiah is saying. I shouldn't be here. It's the same as what Peter's saying. Depart from me, Lord. Depart from me. It's only in the presence of real holiness that we're shown to be what we really are. You're in his presence now. Jesus is here. <laughs> you know that your body is a temple of the living God. The Holy Spirit lives in us. It's Jesus. We should be sitting here in fear. I'm standing here in fear, believe me. We should. We should be concerned about that. What do you see? You see a nice story from 2,000 years ago. Quaint little picture of a miracle and a, a personal calling. Or do you see a man who sees God from the miracle? Do you see a man who sees God and is concerned about his helpless situation because he's a sinner? Jesus shows Peter that the fish, the business, <laughs> the catch that he's been toiling for all night isn't the thing that matters. I wanted to say a quick word about the prosperity gospel. Some of you may know that. Sometimes it's called the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. A number of churches, particularly it seems out of America and Africa, are major proponents of this. And they basically say, if you come to Jesus, your life will be great. Come to Jesus, you'll be well. Physically, you'll be fit, you'll be good looking, you'll have the right house and the right car, your bank account will overflow with money. Well, everybody wants that, don't they? What kind of people do you think might be in that kind of church? Not ones who see and savor the supreme power and authority of Jesus Christ, but ones that are self-interested. It's basically a heresy. It's a lie. The Bible actually says the opposite doesn't say you won't get a Ferrari. It just says you're going to suffer. It says in a way, the Ferrari doesn't matter. <laughs> the fish doesn't matter. Why are you interested in those things? They're of the world. This is of God. It's a lie. It's a heresy. And it robs Jesus of his glory. Imagine the scene that we're in. Imagine if Peter turned around and said, thanks so much for this. What a great Kickstarter for our business. Can you do it again? That's basically what the prosperity gospel is saying. I'll take the business. I'll take the fish. I'll take the Ferrari. But I'm not interested in you. It's about human possessions. And it's not about possessing Christ. Don't ever get caught up in that. And Peter doesn't care about the fish, does he? He doesn't care about his business or the miracle, really. He cares about who the miracle worker is. He's concerned about the one who performs this miracle. He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Fell down. You ever seen anyone fall down at the feet of someone else? I mean, it's a big truth that's going on here. Peter gets something. He wasn't an educated man. Oh, he knew how to fish, but he hadn't studied formally. He was just a common man, common person. Wasn't a religious leader. He wasn't rich, certainly not the way they were fishing. He wasn't powerful. Yet he was broken and humble before his God because he saw who he is. Now, I was trying to find an analogy for this picture. And of course, as I always say, every analogy fails when you're talking about God. But I came up with one, and you can uh, chide me for it later. I want you to imagine for a second that it's a rainy day 
but you have gardening you need to do. And you decide, well, I'm just going to have to put on my old clothes and uh, get out there in the mud and do the pruning or the sweeping up. You can tell I know nothing about gardening. But you decide to get out there and it's pouring with rain and you get muddy. You think that's okay, I'll keep going. You get more muddy. There's mud everywhere. It's in your hair and on your face and your knees, on your clothes. And you think, goodness, I'm glad nobody can see me like this. And then the doorbell goes and you skittle around to the front of your house to see who's come in the rain, and it's the queen. Imagine now that that mud is sin. That's what Peter gets. <laughs> this is the king of kings and the lord of lords, and I'm just a wretched sinner covered in mud. Peter trusted. Peter saw. And Peter obeyed the call. Have a look at the text again. Verse 10 or the end of 9. And Jesus said to Simon, Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. He trusted who the Lord is. Now he's going to follow him. And Jesus is calling Peter to an altogether different lifestyle. He's calling him to an altogether different kind of fishing, isn't he? It's a good analogy for a fisherman, isn't it? I'll make you fishers of men. You understand fishing? Let's go catch men. Let's catch people. It's a different life. He's got different nets. And if I may say, it's a different kingdom. Peter has been called to follow Jesus. He's been called to make fishers of men, not to grow his business because of the fish. That's what I would have done, frankly. I would have gone, this is a great business opportunity. But he's been called to, a, I'm going to call a repurposed life. You're a fisherman of fish, you're going to become a fisherman of men. You're changing the purpose of your life. To live for the kingdom of God, to die to the kingdom of self. The world is completely obsessed with self. Have you noticed that? Seeing what the world's up to? It's all about me. It's all about what I can get. It's all about how I feel. Goodness, that's one of the biggest things that is going on in the world. It's about how I feel. It's about me having the best life I can have because ultimately I'll only live for so long. So I better have the best one. Better please myself. Better have the right comfort that I can get. The right opulence and opportunity. I want to have what I want when I want it. At the expense sometimes of others. People have got bucket lists. Things they need to do before they die. People want the praise of men. And interestingly, they just want to be loved. They don't necessarily want to love. What does it like look like to not live in the kingdom of self, the kingdom of the world, but to live in the kingdom of God? Well, it's the greatest commandment. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the kingdom of God, loving God. If you say you love God and you don't love people, it sounds a bit like 1 John, doesn't it? Then you're wrong, you're lying, you're not telling the truth. If you love God, you'll love people, won't you? What a great hallmark that the church should have. Loving people. Demonstrating Christ's love to the world by loving people. Living for the kingdom of God means that we trust him. No matter what this life is like, we're here and we prayed again this morning for the persecuted church. We trust God. They trust God. It means that we need to humble ourselves before him. James says, with respect to business at one point, do not say that tomorrow we'll go into this town and we'll run a, start a business and we'll make a profit, but say if God wills, we will do that. 
need to be humble. Recognize that this is the God that said to the fish, get in the nets, and they obeyed. This is the God that spoke a word and the cosmos became what it is, came into existence. We need to live to follow Jesus. We need to live to please him. Isn't that what you do for someone you love? It's what we should do. We need to use our time, our energy, our resources for God. Not for ourselves, for God. And listen, living for the kingdom of God means following Christ wherever it leads. Peter knew about that. So did James. So did John. So did all of them. Suffering for the sake of the gospel. Because being a fisher of men, of people, is about sharing the gospel. Now, it's no good if you're not following Christ. It's a vanity. And God will save people that way, believe me. The gospel is power on its own. But we need to evangelize. We need to disciple. We need to teach. We need to declare the promises of God. We need to praise God. We need to make Jesus and his gospel known. To be blunt, we need to cast our nets. And sometimes we think of this uh, work of evangelism and mission as two different things. They're the same. The objective, the goal, yes, the means might be different. And we're often rightly sending people to unreached people groups. But I'd like to say that the people next door often are unreached people groups. Not because they came from some far-flung country that's never heard the gospel, but because they came from this country and never heard the gospel. It is going rapidly. Kids are not going to Sunday schools and hearing this story. The number of times I ask people if they know what the gospel is, often they say, oh, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Sometimes they will say, oh, it's a kind of music. Right? No idea. They're an unreached people group. We talk about post-Christian societies and all of that, but basically my neighbors don't know Christ. So cast your nets in your neighborhood. Cast your nets in your workplace, in your place of study. Be a fisher of men wherever God has you. You might meet with only a few people in the week. That's okay. That's okay. It's not about big evangelism. Sometimes it's one-to-one, -one, personal evangelism. Sometimes it's Christianity explored. Sometimes it's standing on the street and proclaiming Christ. That's what Peter did. Following Christ requires us to love God and love people, but it requires us to evangelize, to be fishers of men. If we don't tell the gospel, nobody will be saved. It's as simple as that. It's the message of Christ Jesus that saves. It's the gospel that saves. The good news. I mean, that's the good bit, right? We get saved. But if we don't tell it, no one gets saved. Listen to Romans 10. Paul says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? Then he says, how then will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? I might just say, Someone fishing, someone casting nets. And how are they to preach unless they're sent? Sound familiar? All authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. It's a command. It's an imperative in the Greek. It's not an option. All authority has been given to me, so you go. Make disciples. Get those nets out there. 
reach people. You want to be a fisher of men? You want to obey Christ? Christ called you. Not with a miracle, other than a miracle of salvation, but he called you. Go and tell the gospel. Go and tell the gospel. Don't leave it to evangelists. If you read Ephesians, in my view, correctly, the evangelists are to train and equip along with preachers and teachers to train and equip the church for works of ministry. What's one of the works of ministry? Telling the gospel. We're all commanded to evangelize. I know it's hard. But who do you fear? Do you fear man or do you fear God? Just a quick note about who does the fishing. Notice uh, if we go back to the story there where the Lord says, push the boat out into the deep, let the nets down, and, and Peter um, trusts God and obeys. What's Peter doing? He's letting the nets down. Who's sending the fish in? God. <laughs> so it is with evangelism, right? You can't make someone a Christian. If, if we could, I wouldn't stand here. I'll be out there, and hopefully so would you. God does that work, but we have to evangelize faithfully. We have to share the message of the cross faithfully. But God will call the people. God causes the fish to come, and we have to trust him like Peter. He causes big fishes to be saved. Take a look around you. You're the result. You're the fruit of the gospel being saved. Might have come to you in different ways and at different places, but that's how you came to Christ. Follow Christ, obey Christ, trust Christ, see him, live the way Christ lived, follow him in that way, and share the good news. And finally, just want to dwell on one verse right at the end, verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, so just consider this, they're out in the deep, the boats are sinking because they're full of fish, and they're just trying to get them to land. And when they had brought them to land, they left everything and followed him. That's a repurposed life. That's a life that was living for the world and is now living for Christ. That's a life that wants to follow Christ because the world is now dead to him. He left everything and followed him. Listen, he had the best business day in his entire life, didn't he? He couldn't get much better than the boat's full. It can't get any better than that other than having another boat and filling that one. And yet he left everything and followed Christ. This requires sacrifice, doesn't it? Matthew 16 records for us Jesus saying, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my name's sake and the gospel will find it. For what profit is, is it if a man gains the whole world, all the, the boats of fish? And loses his soul. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. And follow. That's what Jesus did, didn't he? <laughs> totally denied himself. He said, oh, I'm, not, I'm not the one of importance now. I'm going to the cross. I give up my life for you took up his cross and don't make the mistake there as some people do of saying well we've all got a burden we've all got a cross we all have burdens i know that we're all suffering and struggling with different things that's okay i don't think that the cross that jesus is talking about there is just some heavy burden i've got to carry what he's saying is die go to the cross die and peter for what it's worth did History outside of the Bible seems to report that Peter was crucified. And the fable, at least, said he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified 
the same way up as Jesus because he thought that would be wrong. That's incredible. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow. Leave everything and follow him. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that you go out there today and you get all your bank money and the money in the bank and every, every possession and you sell it. What I'm saying is, what are you living for? Are you living for that? Are you living for Christ? Peter looked at the miracle, but he saw Christ. He trusted in Jesus and he let down the nets. He saw his own sin in the presence of the Savior and he was afraid and he left everything. And he followed Jesus, who's no longer living for the kingdom of this world, no longer living for the kingdom of self. He's living for the kingdom of God because he became a fisher of men. Now Luke writes Acts as well as the Gospel of Luke. At one point, there's a story of the disciples going into uh, the town and there's a crippled man at the gate and the man asks for, for money and, and they haven't got money. They say, look, well, what you need is Jesus. And the man gets healed and the leaders of the town uh, are saying, well, what's going on here? Who, who healed this? Was it you guys who healed this man? The disciples said this, rulers of the people, this is Acts 4, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, and by what means this is, he has been healed, let it be known to all of you, to all of the people of Israel, that the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, here's the gospel, and God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing well before you. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. Listen, for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which you must be saved, not can, not might, but must. You know who said that? It's Peter, <laughs> the fisherman. What's he doing? He's letting down the net, isn't he? He's preaching the gospel. They think that they're the ones with power because they healed someone. It was Jesus who healed this crippled man. And, Jesus, and Peter is making no, he's making absolute clarity about this. And while he's doing it, let me tell you, Jesus died for your sins. God raised him from the dead. And then it records, now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, those two fishermen, and perceived that they were uneducated men that they were common men it says they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with jesus well let's conclude very quickly with a little bit of application if you're not a christian here today or online or listening to this some other time from some other place then I bid you to come to trust, to obey, to see who Jesus really is. Not just a man in history, but God breaking into human history in the form of a man, a savior, for Christ died for the sins of the world. It's not a joke, it's a reality. He was buried, and then he rose again, victorious and triumphant over sin and death, and sits at the right hand of the Father in high, on high, and he intercedes for you. And guess what? He's coming again. He's coming again. You know, years ago, I saw a friend's, uh, I was in a friend's house, and I saw in their uh, fridge, a little fridge magnet, and it said, Jesus is coming. Look busy. What a terrible thing to say. Jesus is coming, look busy. Jesus is coming, obey him, trust him, humble yourself. You're going to be found to be a sinner and this God is holy. Come to Christ, come and see, come and say sorry. Come and ask for mercy. Come and live for his kingdom. And if you are a Christian today, here, online, and I want you to know a few things. I want you to know that like Peter, you too have been called 
to a repurposed life. You've been called to follow. You've been called to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow Jesus. How are you doing? How's it going? Be honest with yourselves. I had to be really honest with myself. I can't stand up here and say this without inquiring in my own heart. It's devastating. Are you living for the kingdom of self or the kingdom of God? Well, be honest. What's your prayer life like? What is your Bible reading like? How are you going with the fishing? I know it's hard. There's so many distractions, aren't there? We're still caught up in this old flesh. It's dead. It's riddled with sin. How are you going? Are you too invested in the kingdom of this world? Really? Well, have a look at where you spend your time. Netflix? That's a common one. You know, somebody said to me recently, in the old days, we used to go to the movies, we used to have to queue up. I don't know if you go to the, the, the cinema, all right? And you used to queue up outside. You'd wait and get your ticket and go in and watch an hour and a half or something, go home and talk about it for weeks till the next one came out. And these days, his friend said, Netflix is vying for your sleep. Yeah, it's vying, it's saying, I want all of your time. Satan is really bound up in that idea. I will take every ounce of your thinking and your spare time such that you'll watch it on a laptop in bed. It's vying for your sleep. Are you too invested in your hobbies? Lots of us have hobbies. It's very easy to become over-interested in the things of this world. There's a new, I'm probably a bit slow on this, but a phenomenon which is a thing called man caves. People have a man cave, a shed in the bottom of the garden or somewhere else where only they go. A cave, it's, for me, there's pictures of darkness. And I say, you know, what's going on in there? People are playing computer games and all sorts of things, no doubt things that are entirely unedifying. Man cave, you can't evangelize when you're in a man cave. It's pointless. Perhaps you're too involved in the garden. It might seem like a good thing. Come and idle very quickly. Your home, even your family, they can become an idol. Peter left his family. We don't know that much more, but he had children. He also came back to his family, I should say. He didn't leave them in the fullest sense. But how's your holiness? How's your sin life? How's your confessional life? You following Christ? When did you last share the gospel with someone? Perhaps this is painful to you. Perhaps you hear this and think, oh, Sam or hopefully God has put his finger on something in your life. Maybe you're finding it hard to come back to Christ. Well, then I'll close with this. Like Peter, have another look at Jesus. Isn't that why we come here every week? We want to join together as the body of Christ to celebrate Christ, to engage with Christ, to pray through Christ, to hear from his word. We focus on Jesus. Survey the wondrous cross. Take another look. Come and confess who you are. Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And yet somehow you saved me. What grace. Rejoice. Don't live for the kingdom of the world. Live for the kingdom of God by refocusing on Jesus. Listen. When I survey, when I survey again, the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died. Listen, my richest gain I count but loss.
and pour contempt on all my pride. My richest gain I count but lost. And they left everything and followed him. That's what the hymn writer is saying there. Compared to Jesus, the world is insignificant, really. Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. When Simon saw the miracle, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Do not be afraid, Simon. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you so much for this piece of scripture that so clearly demonstrates the power of your son. So clearly demonstrates the effect and power of disclosing who your son is on Peter so clearly demonstrates the right response as Christians, that we don't live as people in this world of, of the world, that we live, as Peter says later, Lord, as aliens and exiles on our way to heaven with you. Lord, I do pray that you would teach us more as a body to, to live in that way to die to self, to deny self, to take up our cross, to follow Christ, no matter what the cost, no matter how hard it is, Lord, that you would help us to see where we are caught up in the world. Father, I pray that as we go out after this service today, you would make us fishers of men, that you would help us to see and savor the preeminent supreme worth of Jesus Christ more than anything in our lives such that we would share the gospel with everyone. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.